that's how that happened. Hey, yeah, Friend Church Eastville, it's so good to be with you, Aaron. Thank you for that introduction here. You can do it there, yeah. Um, this is actually only my second time here. The first time I was here was um, before you guys even launched. It was actually during one of the preview services. And so it's so amazing to see all that, that God has done with this place. And I'm so privileged for the opportunity to be here. So thank you so much for this opportunity. I know none of you had anything to do with it. But thank you for not walking out on me yet. We'll see by the end of our time together. Hey, um, as Aaron said, I have been given the privilege of closing out this Ignite series that you've been in, which is, you know, really, as he said, it's all about the unique circumstances we will find in our own life and the way that those can be used to ignite our faith in God. And today I have been uh, tasked with, with talking about a situation, a circumstance that all of us are going to find ourselves in from time to time. In fact, we will, we will likely find ourselves in circumstances like this quite a bit. And that's because today I've been asked to talk about um, the, the difficult circumstances of life, those unexpected dips in the road that, that life takes sometimes. And this is uh, definitely something that uh, actually uh, my family and I, we have had the uh, privilege, I should say, of uh, experiencing firsthand recently. Uh, there may be a handful of you who know this, but uh, most of you probably don't. But uh, a couple months ago, um, my, my family, our life kind of got turned upside down a little bit. And the reason why is because my lovely wife, Tanya, uh, with whom I've been uh, married 10 years, we have three kids together, uh, about three months ago, she found a suspicious-looking lump in one of her breasts. And long story short, uh, it turned out through some tests and all of that that my wife was diagnosed with stage 2 invasive breast cancer. And as you can imagine, this did just sort of change our, our whole world for, for a time. My wife is not all that old. She's only 39, and that's like legitimate. I know a lot of people say that, no, my wife is actually 39. And uh, we have three kids, eight years old and, and younger, and so we, we definitely were not prepared uh, to experience something like this at this stage of our life. I don't know if you're ever prepared to experience something like this, but this definitely came out of the blue. And so uh, we have been on a whirlwind of a few months that culminated at the end of June when my uh, wife underwent a double mastectomy, both to remove the tumor and then also to uh, lessen the chance that anything like this would happen again. And I just want to let you know that God has been so faithful to us through this process. Uh, he really has been. In fact, uh, my wife's surgery went really well. They got all the tumor. The test came back on the tumor, and it turned out that my wife doesn't need chemo, which was awesome. And so we are very much on the road to recovery. But I'll tell you what, it's, it's interesting to see what difficult circumstances like this it's interesting to see the impact that it does have on your faith in God. And some of the questions that you begin maybe asking God that you, you've never asked before. And that was definitely the case for me. In fact, I remember the day before my wife's surgery, um, I was in my car and there was a sad song with a sad lyric that came on the, the stereo. And I just started to break down. I just started to cry. And as I often do in situations like this, I, I turned my cry into a prayer. And there was really just one prayer that I was, uh, I was asking God. And, and the prayer was, God, why my wife? Why Tanya? Why of all people does she have to be the one to go through something like this? Uh, if you've ever met my wife before, you would know instantly, my wife is a saint. She is. She's just an incredible woman of God, an incredible woman. And it just doesn't make any sense that she would have to be the one to go through something like that. So God, why does she have to face this burden? And that is the question, isn't it, when we go through difficult circumstances? Uh, a few weeks ago, you had Pastor Jay come and teach uh, to you. And Pastor Jay himself, if you know, he has battled brain cancer now for several years. And I don't know if Jay has asked this of God, but I've asked it of God on his behalf. And that is, God, 
Why Jay? I mean, Jay has dedicated his life to serving you. Why does he have to go through this? I don't know if you've ever, you know, really taken, taken a look at Jay before, but if he wanted to, he could have been a male model, right? And yet he has given his life over to God. Why would he be given this burden in life? It just doesn't make sense. I don't know if you've ever made this observation before. I've made this observation. It seems sometimes in life like the most God-honoring, humble, kindest people sometimes have to experience the biggest burdens in life. Well, meanwhile, quite honestly, it seems like sometimes some of the most rotten individuals get the smoothest sailing. So why is that? Well, what I want to let you know here today is if you, in the midst of your own difficulties, if you have ever looked up at God and you have asked that eternal question of God, why me or why someone I love, I, I want to let you know that you're not alone. In fact, we have an example in our Bible of someone who asked that same exact question of God. And believe it or not, this person got a response back from God. And there is a lot to learn from his example. And so if you brought your Bibles here today, I'd encourage you to grab them right now and turn to the book of Job, okay? Job chapter 1 is where we're going to be today. Job, just so you know, is right uh, near the middle of our Bible. It's right before the book of Psalms. Job chapter 1 is where we are. And as you turn there, you know, the book of Job is just a phenomenal book in our Bible. If you've never read it before, I'd encourage you to take some time and read it this week. And Job is all about this very unique individual who the book is named after, this individual by the name of Job. And if you don't know anything about Job, let me introduce him to you real quick. Job is, is a very unique individual in our Bible. And the reason why is because he's kind of a rare combination. And what I mean by that is not only is Job one of the wealthiest men who lived in his day and age, but he's also actually one of the most God-honoring men, not just who lived in his day and age. He's probably one of the most God-honoring righteous men who ever lived before. Look with me at Job chapter 1, verse 1. You'll see what I mean. Here we're introduced to Job. And this is what our author says. He says, In the land of Uz there lived a man whose name was Job. This man was blameless and upright. He feared God and shunned evil. He had seven sons and three daughters, and he owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 donkeys, and had a large number of servants. He was the greatest man among all the people of the East. And all you need to know is in that last statement right there. He was the greatest man among all the people of the East. And you know what our author is telling us there? He's telling us that Job is a lot like my wife, okay? Job is just an exemplary individual. But as you read on in this story, you see that one day tragedy strikes Job. In the span of a few hours, maybe even in the span of a few minutes, Job basically loses everything that he has. All his kids, were told, are killed by a tornado as they're eating a meal together in a house. All his uh, livestock, his donkeys and so on, they're all stolen by thieves. And then all his servants, save just a handful, they're, they're killed, they're murdered. And this all happens on exactly the same day. And as I said, Job finds out about this in the span of a few minutes, maybe even in the span of a few seconds. And then if that's not bad enough, a few days later, we're told that one day Job is stricken by this mysterious illness that results in painful sores breaking out all over his body. In fact, these sores are so painful that Job can't move without writhing in agony. And what is probably most interesting to us is the reason that we are given for why Job has to go through all of this. And the reason that we are given for why Job has to go through all this is, believe it or not, it's because God wants to prove a point to Satan. It's because God wants to prove a point to the devil. We're told that one day Satan approaches God in heaven, and I know that raises a whole host of questions, and you can ask Pastor Aaron those questions after the service. Maybe that's why he's leaving right now. But we're told that one day Satan approaches God in heaven. 
And as Satan approaches God in heaven, he begins to express suspicion to God as to why Job serves him so well. Look with me at verse 9 here. Here Satan is speaking. And he says this. He says, does Job fear God for nothing, Satan replied? Does Job fear God for nothing? Verse 10, have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? You have blessed the work of his hands so that his flocks and herds are spread throughout the land. But now stretch out your hand and strike everything he has and he will surely curse you to your face. And here what we see, we see what Satan says to God. And you know what Satan is doing here? He's making a really good point. He is. He's making a really good point. Because essentially what Satan is saying to God here is he's saying, God, it's easy to see why Job serves you so well. God, you pay him so well. You give him everything he could ask for in this life. Of course Job is going to serve you when you bless him so well. But I'll tell you what, God, you take away his blessings. You cut his pay. You, you take away all the things that you have given him. And you will find that Job won't be so quick to serve you anymore. In fact, you'll find exactly the opposite. You'll find that Job will curse you to your face. See, Satan's a cynic. And Satan cannot imagine that anybody would ever serve God just because. No, in Satan's opinion, the only reason that people serve God is because of what they can get from God. What they can get out of God. And so Satan believes you take away someone's blessings and you will see a person turn their back on God faster than you can say Job. They'll run in completely the other direction. But God knows that's not true. Especially with Job here, God knows Job's heart. He knows his character. He knows his faith. And he knows that Job will serve God no matter what. And so because of that, God allows Satan to do what to probably many of us seems unthinkable. God allows Satan to attack Job. He allows Satan to take away practically everything that Job has. And I'll tell you what, there's an interesting point to be made here in, in light of this you know, subject that we're talking about this morning. You know, one of the things I found as a pastor is one of the places that people tend to go when they go through difficult circumstances is they tend to go to the place of, hey, what have I done that would bring this upon me? Obviously, this difficulty is a result of some mistake I've made in the past. So what is it that I've done that would cause this to happen to me? But have you ever entertained the thought, brothers and sisters, that sometimes the difficulties we go through are not because we're doing anything wrong, but sometimes the difficulties we go through are because we're doing everything right? That just like with Job, God is pleased with our faith and he wants to prove, maybe even to us ourselves, that we serve God not because of what we can get from him, but we serve God simply because we love him. We serve God because he's the only one we recognize that is worth serving. Sometimes the difficulties we go through are because we're doing everything right. That's what's happening with Job here. But here's what's interesting about the book of Job, okay? You continue on in the book of Job and you find out that Job's not told any of that. Job is never clued into this conversation between Satan and God. He doesn't know that the reason he's going through everything he's going through is because he did everything right and not because he did anything wrong. And worst of all, Job lives in a day and an age where it is believed that if someone does go through a difficulty, it is because of some mistake that they have made in the past. And so therefore, Job lives in a day and age where it is believed that there is only one explanation for why Job is suffering everything he's suffering. It's because he's a wicked individual. He has made God upset. And believe it or not, that's actually what the next 30 chapters of the book of Job are all about. You see, Job has three friends, and I use the term friends loosely. But Job has three friends. 
And these friends, they show up to Job's house soon after he's lost everything. And these three friends, they try to convince Job that the reason he is suffering, what he is suffering, is because God is mad at him. Because there's some sin that he has committed in the past that God is punishing him for. So basically, his three friends, they spend 30 chapters trying to convince Job that the reason he is suffering is because he deserves it. And he needs to own up to that. Some friends, huh? But Job can't do that. Job has searched his heart and he searches his life and he can't see, think of a single thing that he has done that would make him deserving of such punishment. And so as a result of that, Job ends up doing what maybe some of us have done before in the midst of difficulties. Job demands an audience with God. Job requests an opportunity to speak to God face to face. Jump ahead here to Job chapter 31. Okay, Job chapter 31. So after 30 chapters basically of Job's friends trying to convince Job that he needs to own up to what he has done that would bring this upon him. Job then gives this final speech to his friends where he proclaims his innocence. And as he begins to draw this speech to a close, this is what he says, verse 35. Job chapter 31, verse 35. Job says this. He says, oh, that I had someone to hear me. I sign now my defense. Let the Almighty answer me. Let my accuser put his indictment in writing. Let me read that again. He says, oh, that I had someone to hear me. I sign now my defense. Let the Almighty answer me. Let my accuser put his indictment in writing. And what is Job doing here? Well, Job is doing what maybe some of us have done in the midst of difficulties. He's looking up at God and he's saying, God, there's nothing in my life that I have done that would deserve such punishment to come upon me. And so, God, you owe me an explanation. You need to tell me why it is that I'm going through what I'm going through. And who among us can't relate to that? I mean, maybe none of us have challenged God as boldly as Job challenges God here. But we probably all had those moments where we've looked up at heaven and we said, God, what's going on here? God, what are, you, what are you doing here? God, why me? That's really what Job is asking here. God, why me? Well, it's to this question of why me. That's what leads to what is probably one of the most extraordinary passages, not just in the book of Job, but probably one of the most extraordinary passages of Scripture in the entire Old Testament. I'm sure you've all heard of that phrase before, be careful what you wish for. Well, that's what we see as we continue on in the book of Job. Here, Job wishes for an audience with God and... Job is going to get that audience with God. But I think when God shows up, he gives Job a little bit more than he bargained for. And we're going to see that in just a second. Before we get there, however, as I was working on this message, uh, I was reminded of a story that happened a few years ago. Uh, It involves my oldest son, Lucas. He's eight now. He's probably five at the time. So this is about three years ago. And I remember there's one day where I was having to run a bunch of errands with Lucas in the car, just the, the two of us. And We were driving around for a couple of hours, and by the end, as five-year-olds get, he was getting really tired of it. So I had one more stop that I had to make. I had to run to Target to get something really quick. And so I gave Lucas an option. I said, Lucas, we can go to Target, or your mom's home now, and I can drop you off at home, and then I I can go to Target by myself. Well, when I said that we were going to Target, my son's eyes got real big. And that's because my son, he associates Target with toys, right? Target is where we get toys. And so when I told him we were going to Target, he said, well, Dad, if I go with you, he said, can, can I get a toy? Can I get something at Target? And here's what you need to understand, okay? My kids are not lacking in the toy department. In fact, Aaron can vouch for this. His friends, his kids have been over to my kids' house a lot. We, we get our kids a lot of toys. 
And if I remember this incident correctly, Lucas had actually just gotten a toy like the day before and I knew he was going to get another toy in the not too distant future. So I made the executive dad decision that this was going to be a trip to Target where I didn't get him a toy. So I said, no, sorry, bud. We're just going to run in and out. I'm not going to get you a toy today. And probably for as long as I live, I will never forget Lucas's response because he's pretty clever. You know, he's pretty smart. And so when I told him we're not getting a toy, he, he looked at me and he said, well, dad, he said, you know, if you loved me, you would get me a toy. <laughs> yeah, that's tough. Yeah, right. If you loved me, you would get me a toy. And it's interesting because when he said that, I realized to myself, actually, in this instance, the exact opposite is true. It's because I love my son that I'm not going to get him a toy. See, one of the things I believe very strongly as parents is we are to train our children up for the future. And, and, and you can't spoil your kids, that means, because you don't get everything you want in this life. And so our kids need to learn the value of no, and they need to learn patience and all that sort of stuff. And so I actually tried to explain that to Lucas. I said, you know, bud, actually it's because I love you that I'm not going to get you a toy. And as you can imagine, Lucas took this really well, and he has never asked for a toy ever again. No, not at all, right? No, in fact, I remember his response. I was looking in the rearview mirror, mirror, and when I said that, he just had this puzzled look on his face, and he just said, Dad, he said, that doesn't make any sense, Dad. No, if you love me, you would give me a toy. And so I remember I spent the next few minutes trying to explain this to him, and he just couldn't get it, and he started to get frustrated, and I started to get frustrated, and I started to argue with my five-year-old, and no matter how I tried to explain it, he just could not wrap his mind around it. So eventually I dropped the issue, and we went to Target, and I got him a toy anyway. <laughs> I, I, I actually, I don't think I did. I think I held strong in this instance. But I'll tell you what, that experience, that was a real learning experience for me as a dad. It was. Because one of the things that that experience taught me is it taught me that there are going to be some decisions that I make out of my love for my children and out of my care and my concern for them and their future, and my kids are not going to understand the reasons I have for the things that I do. And no amount of explaining is going to help them understand it. But even still, I need to make those decisions because they're important. And the reason I explain that to you is because that is sort of what God's response to Job is. When God shows up to answer Job's request for a response. Turn ahead now to Job chapter 38. Okay, Job chapter 38. Soon after Job requests this answer, this response from God. God shows up. Actually, there's a hurricane that appears. A violent windstorm. We're told that God appears to Job in the midst of this hurricane. And this is the beginning of what he says. Job chapter 38, starting in verse 1. It says, And the Lord spoke to Job out of the storm. He said, Who is this that obscures my plans with words without knowledge? Brace yourself like a man. I will question you, and you will answer me. And all God's people said, Uh-oh, right? Look again at what God says here. He says, Who is this that obscures my plans with words without knowledge? Brace yourself like a man. I will question you, and you shall answer me. And this is what leads to, as I said, what is probably one of the most extraordinary passages of Scripture in the Old Testament. And the reason why it's extraordinary is because for the next four chapters, Job 38, 39, 40, and 41, basically what God does is He just schools Job. He just lectures Job. It's actually the longest speech of God that we have in the Old Testament. And it's just phenomenal because here Job requested an answer, a response from God. And God gives Job an answer. But there's something really interesting as you read through the speech that God gives here. As you read through the speech that God gives here, you will observe that not once does God actually answer the question that Job gave. 
You see, Job asked God, God, why me? Why do I have to go through this? And nowhere does God answer that question. God doesn't tell Job even what we learned in, in, in chapter 1. He doesn't do that at all. And, and so the question we're left with is, why doesn't God do that? Why doesn't God give Job the reason why he's going through what he's going through? And why doesn't God give us the reasons why we go through what we go through for that matter? You know, if you've ever asked God the question of why me before, you will find that God rarely, if ever, answers that question. In fact, I remember my, my pastor growing up, Chuck Swindoll, he once said something like this. He said, I have found that God rarely answers the why questions of life. And so Chuck said this. He said, so I've stopped asking him. But why? Why doesn't God answer the why questions of life? I mean, wouldn't it be so much easier to go through a difficult circumstance if before he went through that, God sat us down and said, okay, you're going to go through some tough times, but here are the reasons you're going to go through those tough times. Wouldn't it be easier to endure through those if we knew that? Why doesn't God do that? Is it because God doesn't have a reason? Is it because he doesn't have reasons for why we go through what we go through? Honestly, if you read through the book of Job, you begin to realize that that's what Job starts to believe. Job starts to believe that God doesn't have a reason for why he's going through what he's going through. In fact, Job starts to believe it becomes clear that, that God doesn't have a reason for anything that he does. I'll read this verse to you. Job chapter 23, verse 13. Job is speaking here. We'll put it on the screens. And this is what Job says about God. He says, but God stands alone and who can oppose him? He does whatever he pleases. But God stands alone. Who can oppose him? He does whatever he pleases. And it's clear that Job begins to believe that God is not unlike a little kid with a magnifying glass on a hot day. When I was a little kid, one of the things I like to do on a hot summer day like today is I like to go out into my parents' backyard with the magnifying glass my grandfather gave me. And you all know where this is going. And I would take that magnifying glass and I would decide it's time for some ants in my parents' backyard to go through some difficult circumstances. <laughs> I would decide it's time for some ants to suffer. And if you would watch me with this magnifying glass and those ants, you would find that there's no rhyme or reason to what I did. I was drunk with power, you know? <laughs> there's no reason I'd, that ant would suffer. I'd let that ant go. That ant would suffer and so on. And there was no reason for it. And, and it's clear that Job begins to believe that about God. That, that one day God sat up in heaven and he took his magnifying glass and he said, okay, it's time for someone to suffer here on this earth. Who is it going to be? And his magnifying glass just so happened to land on Job. That's what Job begins to believe. Maybe that's what some of you believe. But that's not the case at all. And that's what God's speech to Job makes clear. As you read through the speech, no, God doesn't tell Job the reason why he's going through what he's going through. Instead, God does something else very interesting. What God begins to do is he begins to talk about how thoughtfully and carefully he has created the world around us. God starts talking, for example, about the moment he laid the first cornerstone of this earth and how the angels shouted for joy when he did that. God talks about how he's the one responsible for the start of each day, that he's the one that causes the sun to rise each day. God even spends some time talking about how complex the animals he's created on this earth are. He spends several verses, for example, talking about mountain goats and donkeys and eagles. He even spends an entire chapter talking about what many scholars believe is a hippopotamus and how complex a hippopotamus is. And it's a very interesting response. In fact, George Bernard Shaw, the famous author, he once wrote on the book of Job something like this. He said, you know, here Job asked God one of the biggest questions of life, God, why me? And God's response is basically, hey, Job, have you ever thought about how interesting a hippopotamus is? I mean, it's a curious response, isn't it? 
But there's a reason why God responds that way. And the reason why God responds that way is he's trying to show to Job, Job, there is a reason for everything that I do. There is a purpose I have for everything that I do. Do you really think that the God who, who put so much thought and care into the creation of a hippopotamus wouldn't have a reason for why his children suffer here on this earth? Job, I have a reason for everything. Nothing I do is by chance. Nothing I do is haphazard. Nothing is without a purpose. And I believe that about my wife's cancer. I don't believe my wife's cancer was a result of God one day sitting up in heaven with a magnifying glass going, okay, someone needs to suffer today. Who's it going to be? And it just so happened to land on my wife. No. In fact, I believe before the world was even created, I believe God knew. In fact, I would even say I believe that God decreed that all this would happen and it would happen in the way that it would happen. And there's a reason for it. It's a part of this great story that God is writing. The God who lovingly and carefully created the world around us was also lovingly and carefully involved in this as well. So then why doesn't God tell us why he does what he does? Why doesn't he give us those reasons? Well, Job himself answers that question. Last verse for you, Job chapter 42, verse 3. Job 42, verse 3, after God speaks for four chapters and just sort of lectures Job, finally Job is given the opportunity to respond. And this is what he says, Job 42, 3. He says to God, you asked, who is this that obscures my plans without knowledge? And here's the key phrase. He says, surely I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. And the answer is right there at the end where Job says, surely I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. Why doesn't God tell us the reasons why we go through what we go through? It's not because we don't, he doesn't have reasons. He has reasons. It's because, quite honestly, we wouldn't understand those reasons even if he told us. You see, God operates on such a higher plane than us, and his view is so much longer than us. We are often so focused just on the here and now, and we are focused on the effects of things on ourselves and our family and our friends. But God, he sees the past, the present, and the future, and he sees every single person on this earth, and he knows how interconnected every single person on this earth is. And so he has reasons for things far beyond we, what we can imagine, far beyond anything we can see. In fact, Job's story is the perfect example of that. You know, if God sat Job down before he went through his difficulties and said to Job, hey, Job, you're going to go through some tough times. But just so you know, part of the reason for that is because 3,000 years after you go through this, there's going to be a group of Christians gathered together in Eastfield, California, and they're going to hear your story, and they're going to take comfort from what it is that you went through. What do you think Job's response would have been? Oh, God, that makes perfect sense. Okay, you can take all my children. No. Job would have said, East what? Christians what? What are you talking about, God? You see, in the same way that my son couldn't wrap his mind around the fact that me not getting him a toy was a sign that I loved him. So we can't always wrap our mind around the reasons why God does the things that he does. It's not, and that's why God doesn't tell us the reasons. It's not because he doesn't have reasons. He does. It's because, honestly, we just wouldn't get a lot of them even if he told us. So where does that leave us then, right? What does that mean then when the doctor tells us it's cancer? What does it mean when our employer tells us, I'm sorry, your position has been eliminated? And we don't have a job for you anymore. What do we do then when the AR doctor tells us, you know, we did everything we could, but the injuries were just too severe? What do we do in situations like that? 
Well, I like what theologian J.I. Packer said. He once said this. He said, if you ask, why is this happening? No light may come. But if you ask, how am I to glorify God now? There will always be an answer. If you ask, why is this happening? No light may come. But if you ask, how am I to glorify God now? There will always be an answer. And if I could sort of paraphrase what he says there and put it in my own words, I'd put it like this. Instead of asking God, why us? Let's start asking God to use us. Instead of asking God, why us? Let's start asking God to use us. That we may never be given the reasons for why we go through what we go through. I promise you there are ways that God can use us in the midst of what we go through. And if we start asking God to to use us in the midst of what we go through, well, then we better get ready because there are so many doors that are going to be opened up for us. Honestly, this is an area where Pastor Jay's story has inspired me a lot. If you know anything about Pastor Jay's story, you know a little over a year ago, Jay ran an Ironman while battling brain cancer, I think while on chemo. And he did this to bring attention to himself so that ultimately he could share about Jesus. And what an incredible response, because you know, if there's one person who could have been paralyzed by his tough circumstances, it could have been Jay. He could have been paralyzed by that question of why me. But I remember even before Jay started a single treatment, right after he was diagnosed with brain cancer, I remember he said something like this. He said, I told God that I would use whatever I'm going through to bring glory to him. And look at what God has done with that. I mean, Jay's story is literally being told all over the world right now, which means Jesus' story is being told all over the world right now. What if we all had that same attitude, that same perspective? In fact, that there is something that I feel like God comforted me with the, the day before my wife's surgery when I was crying in my car. It, it was that. As I was crying, I felt as though there, there was this, just this truth laid on my heart, which is, you know, I may never know the reasons why we're going through what we're going through. But I know that God knows my wife. And he knows that this is not going to break her. And he knows that she is going to use this to tell others about Jesus. And you know what? My wife has. And she will continue to. And I know you can do the same thing whatever it is you're going through. And let me tell you something, Eastfield, okay? You become open to how God wants to use you in whatever it is you're going through. You better get ready. Because God is going to ignite your faith in a way like never before. And in fact, as we close here today, that's exactly what I want to pray over all of us. Would you do me a favor and would you bow your heads with me right now? So, Father, we come before you right now, God. And first of all, Father, we, um, we acknowledge that the difficulties of this life are difficult. And God, I actually thank you that uh, you never say otherwise, Lord. There's nothing in, in your word that indicates that the tough seasons we go through are anything but what they are, tough, difficult, hard, Father. You acknowledge the difficulties of this life. You know that this life can be hard, Lord. And and we take comfort in that, God. But Father, I, I also take comfort in the fact that you have reasons for these things that we go through. And God, we, we may be clued into some of those reasons in the here and now, Father, um, but I know most of them, we will, we will never even see the, the, the full purposes, the full extent of why we go through what we go through this side of heaven, Lord. But we know that you have them and we trust you in that, God. 
And Father, in many ways, I can't wait until that day that we, we, we get to heaven and we stand before you, Lord, and you begin to peel back the curtain. You begin to show us all that you were doing in the midst of all that we were going through, Father. And I know it will be a moment where we just marvel at how creative you were, God, and how purposeful you were, Lord, and how everything that you did was ultimately to bring glory to you and to work in the character of Christ within us, God. And what an incredible moment that will be. But God, until we find out those reasons, Lord, we know that you can use us in the midst of what we go through, Father. We know, in fact, right now that there are opportunities that you have put in our way to tell others about Jesus, to lead others to, to eternal faith in you. And so, God, right now, I pray for those who are going through a difficult season. First of all, God, I pray that you would just comfort them. You would bring the, just the presence and the peace of your Holy Spirit right now, Father, just to wash over them and let them know that you are with them, God. And then, Father, I pray that you would begin to open their eyes to see uh, the people that you have put in their path, maybe even some of the new connections that they've made because of the difficulties, the, the, the medical personnel that they deal with that they would have never talked to otherwise, God, the doctors, the, the, the teachers, whatever it may be, Father. And I pray, God, that you would begin to show your love for those people that they encounter on a regular basis. And, Lord, you would give us the confidence and you would give us the courage to begin to share about Jesus with those people, Father. And God, we just thank you, Lord, that you are a God who wastes nothing, that everything that you do is a part of a great story and a great plan, Lord. And I pray that any time we begin to feel the fear or the anxiety or whatever of what we're going through, God, we would just know, Lord, that all of this is working towards something so much better and so much greater, Father. And so, God, as we now close with just an opportunity just to praise and worship you, Father, I pray that our singing right now would come from hearts that are just overwhelmed with gratitude and awe at you, who you are, and all that you do, Father. We love you so much, Father, and we thank you, God. And we just ask for constant reminders of your presence, of your love, of your grace in our life each and every day, Lord. And we ask all this in your Son's name. Amen.